Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast, where we discuss films from every genre. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Well, listeners, I have to apologize, actually. Last week, I told you we were coming back for Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers. And if you listen to that, I was a little excited. Well, I looked at the schedule afterwards, and I realized we won't be coming back to Halloween for, well, I guess after this, it'll be another week, I believe. So, there's an interesting story why we are doing the Cloverfield Paradox today, and why we are doing Avengers Infinity War next week. It turns out both of them were moved from their original release dates. Oops. (laughs) Oops, so we kind of had to fiddle with the schedule a little bit, and that's why Halloween was pushed back just slightly, but not by much. So we will be coming back for Halloween, but not for about another two weeks. Right. Both of them, funny enough, they just happened to be scheduled one right after the other, and then for whatever reason, they decided to move. Uh, I mean, we'll get into the production here in a sec about this movie and why it was moved, but Infinity War, that's a different story. Yes, which will we... Which we will talk about next week. Yes. The Cloverfield Paradox is directed by Julius Ona. He is from Nigeria. And this is basically his first movie. Uh, he's pretty much a no-name. He has... He did a movie. I did not take the time to write it down. It's probably some really direct-to-DVD type of thing. It, that's what right. it seemed like anyway to me. So I, I'm wondering if this is kind of a pattern that they're going to start doing because for the first one, Matt Reeves was fairly unknown. He had done some stuff, but this was before his Planet of the Apes movies, which really propelled him. And now he's doing Batman. And the last guy, Dan Trachtenberg, that was his very first movie. And so this is Julius Ona's very first movie. So it makes me think for Cloverfield 4, we're going to get a brand new no-name director. I don't know how to feel about that because I love what Dan Trachtenberg did in the last movie. I was extremely impressed. As for Julius Ona, well, we'll get into what he does with this movie. Right. This movie stars Gugu Mabatha Raw. I had no idea this was her name because we both saw her in A Wrinkle in Time. She is the mom. Oh, that's where I saw her. I forgot about that movie. David Oyello, what have we seen him in? He, I guarantee I have seen David Oyello, whoa, I don't know how to say his last name. I don't know, I can't remember. I know, I I feel like I've seen him before, but I I can't remember what other movies he's been in. Daniel Bruhl, John Ortiz, Chris O'Dowd, Axel Henney, Zia Zhang, Elizabeth Debicki, Roger Davies, uh, Donald Logue, and Simon Pegg? Simon Pegg. Yeah, it's funny. This is a pretty no-name cast with the exception of Simon Pegg, of course. How interesting. Simon Pegg is just a voice on the radio. Right. I was very surprised when I was scrolling through the credits because Simon Pegg is a fairly big Mm -hmm. actor. And, of course, he's worked with J.J. Abrams, who is producing this movie, who was pretty involved in all of the Cloverfield films. This is his production company that makes it. 
So it was interesting to see Simon Pegg. Uh, you can't pick him out in this right. movie, honestly. Right. It's kind I, of I the same with, uh, oh, whatever his name was last week over the phone. Uh, Bradley Cooper, that's oh, it. Oh, Bradley Cooper. Yeah, kind of the same movie. deal uh, with Bradley Cooper where they are just a voice uh, that they use. So next time for the fourth movie, I'm expecting another big name in a voice on a some kind of machine i don't know how that's gonna work with the right. setup but uh we'll we'll talk about it right do we have a release date for the fourth one and should we trust that release date i am trusting the release date we will talk a little bit more about this once this review has concluded but we do know it is finished filming i know that doesn't mean much because this movie finished filming like a year and a half ago yeah (laughs) pretty much and uh i i do believe the release date that we have is when we will get the movie but we'll talk about that in a little bit right the movie is written by oren uziel who wrote 22 jump street the netflix movie shimmer lake and he also directed it and he's writing the new mortal Kombat movie oh they're making another one Oh no! Yeah, I, I think I uh, think I smell a retrospective coming mm, on. Mm. <laughs> nah. <I don't. laughs> All right, you had me scared there for a minute. Actually, that that would have been okay to do, I suppose. The first one, I, I haven't really seen the first one, but I know the second one has quite the reputation. Oh yeah, they both do, especially the second. Maybe someday we'll see. Anyways, I should note that the story was also done by Doug. Doug Young, who actually wrote Star Trek Beyond, oh. but he just, this is, he's in just a story by capacity, not in the screenplay. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, Bear McCreary is actually back doing the score for this movie. I'm a little disappointed because they didn't y- utilize McCreary's talents very well. I felt like the score was really front and center in the last one. It right. worked really well. It was an incredible. Uh, Bernard Herrmann-esque Hitchcockian score. I think from what I could pick up with this score, it was good, but I just wish I could have heard it better. Yeah, there are moments that I think it was utilized pretty well. For the most part, it, for me, just felt quite generic and was pretty forgettable. But, sure, yeah, you think you're right. They They really should have utilized his talent a lot more than what they did. That's pretty sad that they weren't able to do that with this one. We also have a different director of photography, a.k.a. cinematographer, which I don't really understand because I thought the cinematography for the last one was really well done. I know. And maybe he was just booked by something else or whatever happened. But yeah, not returning, which I feel with this one also, because it's kind of the same thing where they're in this very confined space. Uh, once again, but we're not getting the same DOP for one reason or another, which is pretty sad. Uh, honestly, I'm very confused why we have a really big production crew shakeup aside from Bear McCreary, pretty much, because the last movie worked extremely well. Like mm-hmm. the crew, they just praised the crew and the commentary and the special features. They worked extremely well. And then for some reason, it's not like Dan Trachtenberg's busy. He's basically done nothing since 10 Cloverfield Lane. Right. I don't know why they didn't get him back. To me, it just sounds like they really want all new people, and they didn't really use Bear McCreary's talents to the fullest. I don't get that. I do understand that these people have worked, not all of them, um, 
the, the director. I don't even know where they got this guy from. Right. And Oren Uziel, they just picked him up from Netflix pretty much. So, but the director of uh, photography, he's done a lot of famous work. He's done Star Wars, The Force Awakens, Amazing Spider-Man 2, John Carter, Mission Impossible 3, Star Trek 1 and 2, and he also did the new Pacific Rim. Okay, so Which he's pretty he's had his hand in a lot of sci-fi. Yeah, that's true. He has done a lot of sci-fi. He has clearly worked with J.J. before. He has done a number of Disney, a number of Marvel, so he's clearly got the resume for it. And I don't really have too many complaints about the cinematography in this movie. I, I It's fine. It's it, to me, it kind of walks the line between playing it safe and just fine. Yeah, it's yeah, like you said, it's nothing really to shake a stick at here. It's just kind of is there it, at least we can see things, and they're it's framed relatively well. So that that's I mean, sure. at the very least, we have that. So there's, yeah, like you said, there's nothing really to talk about with it. I would say he's kind of trying to copy some of the cinematography from Alien. Yes. He definitely got like Alien vibes with some of the shots running down the hallway and just empty hallways or whatever. Yeah. He likes to utilize that Dutch angle, I think, a little bit too much. Uh, especially towards the end with one yeah, specific character. Yeah, especially when we get towards the climax. it's It becomes a little bit overused. This is the first movie in the series to... To make the jump from PG-13 to basically an R rating. Right. Since this was released to Netflix, it was not released to the Motion Picture Association of America. Therefore, it doesn't have one of the usual ratings. It's rated TVMA, which is basically the equivalent of the theatrical R rating. I'm kind of wondering why this movie needed to be rated R. Uh, clearly just because of the language, and I would say I probably, there is some gory-esque scenes, right. if you can call them that. There's, there's some, this movie likes the violence and the deaths, I would say. Right. Unlike the other ones. Yeah. I don't know, I think it's weird. It does ride that PG-13 R rating. Um, there are, I, I, I do know that there are a few movies that do get the TVMA rating, um, but were originally rated PG-13, uh, so that's my guess. It was, I think, for me, from what I saw, it's just barely on that rated R rating. So, uh, yeah, I see this more as a, just a heavy PG-13 than an R rating. Uh, be some of the images are pretty graphic for PG-13, but I don't think it, I don't think it would scoot it past it up into an R. But it is possible. We it didn't get a theatrical release, so we really is kind of impossible to tell. From what I understand, it's probably the language that pushed it. That to... could be very true. That I could see. Well, let's talk about the budget for this movie. Because originally the budget was planned to be about $5 million. This was going to be distributed under like a smaller label that Paramount owned, mm-hmm. but that studio kind of folded. Paramount... Well, they started doing more things with the movie. This movie was announced i believe later 2016 which was not that long after the second movie released i remember hearing like oh my gosh they're already working on cloverfield 3 
Well, anyways, before we get too far into some of the production details, I wanted to touch on the budget. Because ultimately, the budget came out to be about $45 million. <laughs> Yeah. What happened was they moved... Uh, it's kind of funny because Tin Cloverfield Lane and this movie were picked up at the same time. But yeah, they moved that from Insurge Productions to just the main Paramount label. And so they got a lot more money. And ended up being $45 million instead of the 5 to 10 million that they were originally supposed to have. Well, a 45 million budget is the biggest one. That's three times the budget of the second movie and 1.8 times the budget of the first. Yeah, that's a lot of money. Oh, yeah, especially for these movies that are all about being a lot smaller with doing more with less right this movie is it ballooned out of their control i think and they ended up selling it to netflix for about 50 million dollars so they they made back the money plus a profit so that's good but it should be noted paramount still has the distribution rights for home video that makes sense though because they sold the rights for viewers to Netflix, but kept right. the distribution rights. That makes sense. That gives them a lot more money. It's been out for a few months, and there's still no talk of a disc release. Like To me, it kind of seems like they're giving it the same theatrical runtime release. comes out in the theater. You're not going to get it on home video right. I mean, for depending on popularity right. for a number of months. It makes sense to not release it on video just yet because it is on Netflix. So why would you want to own it if you right. can just get to it on Netflix? Uh, that's I think that's kind of where the mindset is at. They may just be waiting uh, for a while to release it onto Blu-ray or whatever. Um, I'm sure that that'll happen in the future eventually. But uh, yeah, that's what I think so far. What did you think of the trailer? So I watched the trailer that was published to the official Netflix uh, YouTube channel. That's a weird trailer because they, I I can't remember the name of the song, but they have this pretty lighthearted song playing in the background and then it starts off fine and everything's great. And then it just kind of slowly descends into madness and you kind of get the sense of, okay, there's, this is a horror flick, right? But it towards the end of the trailer, there is so much dissonance between the song and what's happening on screen that I was just like, what is going on? Because usually you would have like, okay, 10 Cloverfield Lane, the trailer for that one kind of also slowly descended into madness as well. But you definitely got this horror vibe off of it. This one just feels like whoever put the trailer together did, didn't know what they were doing. And it, it feels weird, just the dichotomy between those two. I didn't really like the trailer very much. It does not fit the tone of the movie because it's trying to be very lighthearted and this movie is not so. I feel the exact same way. I was really surprised because the song is lighthearted and I understand it's supposed to be one of those weird dichotomies where, you know, you think it's all fun, but it's something horrible is going on. Sometimes it kind of works, but in this instance, it didn't work at all. And I found the trailer to be totally misleading because the like that the trailer by itself, what I'm seeing on the screen is interesting. Right. I would want to go to the theater and see what this movie's about. It looks like a really crazy space adventure that's going to be scary and violent and but we're still back on Earth with the Cloverfield monster. I think there are monsters on the spaceship 
uh, from that standpoint, it did get me, did want to get me into the theater or I guess to my couch. Yeah. If that makes sense. Oops. <laughs> but you're right. The trailer is very deceptive. Yeah. I, mm, mm, I don't know. They, at least they kept it subtle. I'll say that much. Uh, you don't really sure. know what's going on. And then it gets this Cloverfield label on it. What? Yeah. Keeping that okay. theme of secrecy alive still, even third three movies in, they're not going to get rid of that. There's there's no way they're going to not make a movie so secretive, uh, at least with the trailer. So, yeah, I can. there's some definite issues with the trailer that just don't fit at all. Well, currently the movie holds a... 5.6 on imdb yikes yeah that's a big drop considering the previous two the first one holds a seven i don't remember what the second one has but it's higher yeah. than a seven so to go from there it's a whole... yeah so the first one's here the second one goes up the third one yeah, drops that's a whole point and a half down i think the third i think the second one actually had about a seven or so it's pretty high yeah, that's ooh, that's not good. Did they even I record a cinema consult- score for this? I mean, I, I I feel like I doubt it. N- no, that would have been impossible okay. to find a cinema score for this movie since it was released directly to the homes. That's fair. Unfortunately, because I really do enjoy cinema score, but I did go ahead and look at Rotten Tomatoes for the second movie. About ninety percent of critics recommended Ten Cloverfield Lane. That makes it, sense. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. Only 16% of critics recommend the Cloverfield Paradox. Oh, oh no. Oh, that's still that's not bad. good. <laughs> and 46% of audiences recommend it as well. So between critics, critics hated this movie. Yeah, critics panned it audiences were audiences don't care for yeah it. they i mean it's still in the low end but it's pretty close it's closer to 50 percent uh so they got some people who liked it but for the most part you almost universally hated oh man that's pretty bad yeah so let's go ahead and talk about the production of yes. this movie because it's got a pretty interesting production yes, before we it does. before we start talking about the movie so well like i said this movie was going to be released the well by the time this by the time this podcast comes out the movie was going to be released the weekend before that's why we're recording right now that's why we started the cloverfield retrospective series when we did was so we could lead up to the weekend release of this movie now this was not the first time this movie had a release well, like date. the this fifth was time that it was changed about the fifth yes so i heard about this movie actually back in 2012 or something very early on i heard of it as the god particle yes, that was the original name of the script that they picked up the spec script once again yes. we have a spec script uh entering into the cloverfield universe has happened actually this script and tin cloverfield lane picked up roughly the same time right the one thing that's interesting though is the script for tin cloverfield lane was pretty much a fairly easy and seamless adaption and they could they really like went in 
deciding what they're going to do. With this one, they were shooting the movie, and they're like halfway into production, and J.J. Abrams is still trying to figure out, he's like, hey, why don't we work this into the Cloverfield universe? How can we do this? So that's why they were involved in making the production a lot longer because of trying to work this into the universe. Right. Yeah, it wasn't decided until after production began to try and work it into the Cloverfield universe. Uh, that's when J.J. Abrams made the decision. Uh, well, I'll save my thoughts for that later. But yeah, <laughs> interesting choice to make it after the facts that actors already began production to to work it into the the universe. Hmm. I do remember actually hearing news about the God particle yes. before it was with Cloverfield. And I remember for a while, uh, John Krasinski was in talks of making this movie, producing it. We had no idea what to expect. But then he left early on before, years before it got to the point where it did. Right. Yeah, I do remember hearing about that. I remember we were pretty excited, when we, or I was pretty excited when I heard that John Krasinski was going to be starring in it. Uh, gave me some hope because I didn't. Nothing really was being said about this movie. Uh, that tends to be pretty normal for these movies at this point, though. Right. So the third Cloverfield movie was announced late in 2016. Only really not many months after the release of the second right. movie. And I was super excited because I was super high on the second movie. I loved it. And originally, this movie was slated for February 2017. Then it got pushed back to October 2017. And then it got pushed back to February 2018. And the final release date, and I've got proof of this, last year... In uh, 2017, at the beginning of last year, it was one of my most anticipated movies of the right. year, uh, The God Particle. And then for this year, and the same thing happened with Insidious, actually. There was two movies on my list in 2017 mm -hmm. that did not come out that year. And then when we were creating our list, which you can go listen to in the archives for most anticipated of 2018, we had down this movie and we had it down on the schedule for this time because we were expecting a theatrical right. release and honestly i was we were very it was tentative i remember we were not quite sure if it was going to happen because this movie i was like this movie may never come out it is just being pushed back and pushed right. back so much right it's funny though you putting a release date for a movie on 420. Uh, that seems just a little bit odd for me, but maybe that was just because maybe it's just happenstance. They they had originally scheduled it for release on 420 and then just pulled it back. Actually, pulled it forward, I suppose, and released it much much earlier. That just for me, it just sounds kind of funny. Uh, maybe it'll make a little bit more sense when we get into the movie. So the funny thing is it was slated for February 2018, pushed back to April mm -hmm. 20th, 2018. Surprise, it came out February 4th, 2018. Yep. Also a complete surprise to the actors. They did not know this was releasing until the day of on a conference call that morning. Oh, really? Yes. Wouldn't you believe it? Not even the actors who were involved were, knew about this release date. Keeping that theme of secrecy alive 
even in the real world. I don't know. I do remember watching the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 52. I'm just sitting there watching the commercials, and all of a sudden, I see this interesting sci-fi movie, and at the end, it says, The Cloverfield paradox and i'm like oh my gosh this is it and it says releases tonight after the game i remember you texted that me was crazy immediately right for the trailer yes. you're just like oh my gosh cloverfield's coming out tonight <laughs> i know i was shocked because after playing with so many release dates and coming out like two to three months earlier than expected right. plus this was the very first time I don't think this has ever really been done before, where the trailer comes out a couple hours before the movie is released. Yeah. We'll get into the marketing a bit later. But yeah, that is... Don't think that's ever been happening before. And I think... And I know that J.J. Abrams stated that this is not going to happen again. You, you have to take the opportunity to surprise the entire world uh, with this kind of a movie. Because the whole theme of secrecy and everything. And he's like, and his dream, well, not his dream, but he was more or less just saying that you never get this opportunity. Never once would I be able to surprise the entire world with this movie and release it that night for everyone to see. That's yeah, interesting. I mean, we'll talk about good or bad later, but it's interesting that that's even a possibility because of Netflix and things like it. Oh, yeah, it's it's a whole new age like that would never work uh, theatrically. Nobody would come to your movie opening weekend because the word of mouth would not be spread enough for you to turn a viable viable profit or even make enough money. But with Netflix, where it's got a gajillion subscribers, I don't know. I was blown away. I was shocked. I was surprised. I was ecstatic because I was like, this is awesome. Oh, my gosh. It's a total surprise. A lot of the YouTube reviewers I follow were just blown away. They were all watching it that night and releasing reviews right. within 24 hours. Everybody was going nuts because we know the first two movies were always shrouded in secrecy. The trailers dropped about two months before their release, and even then, the trailers didn't reveal much. This was kind of the pinnacle of that where it's like dropped. the trailer dropped two hours before the release of the movie, and everybody who subscribes to Netflix, which is a massive majority could watch it exactly it was crazy well let's talk about netflix for just a minute because they they became interested in cloverfield paradox december of 2017 and then in january of 2018 it was official that they had bought the rights from paramount for 50 million the Mm -hmm. reason they did this is because paramount was getting a little bit concerned with how much revenue they were going to make with this. Uh, the production had skyrocketed past what they had ever expected. It, I don't know, I don't know what the official budget uh, originally was, but it had gotten to about, yeah, like you said, 45 million at this point. And so they were still in post-production. They had pushed it back months and months and months. And it had actually been a whole year from the original release date in February to even longer uh, product, uh, projected release date. So then Netflix got interested and Paramount's just like, oh, well, I guess we can make money off of this. And so they gave Netflix the rights to release it. And yeah, because they were afraid that it wouldn't make any money in the theaters. 
And that's why Cloverfield was originally added to the project because they were afraid that it wouldn't make any money in theaters. So it's interesting. So basically after they they reworked a lot of this to work it into the right. franchise yeah. and post production was also very strenuous on the budget which increased it a lot. And yeah, th- that was the main concern is we can't market this movie very well nor will this movie probably do very well. The Cloverfield movies always have a small budget and they don't do phenomenal at the box office. They do well, but they don't go gangbusters. They don't do Marvel numbers or anything like that. So yeah, it it made sense for them to sell it to Netflix, I would say, because they made their money back plus an extra five million. Right. They made some kind of revenue versus... Right. Wow. How much would they have made in the theater? I really kind of am curious to see what those numbers would have been had they put it out in theaters. It, I don't think it would have been – I don't think it would have done well in the theaters right. at all because this movie had been delayed so many times. It makes sense to me. They're like I, – honestly, I feel like they think this movie wasn't going to do well with critics or audiences. So that's why they're just like, get it out on Netflix. We need to just get it out. And it's interesting because we learned Cloverfield 4 was finished filming and had a release date of this October before seeing any footage for the third movie. Right. I mean, yes. That's almost unheard of. You're right. I think that it was a good financial move to just kind of give it to Netflix. Um, I mean, at least for release, they are still keeping it for production later on, of course. Uh, but yes, good. it was a good move for them to uh, just give it to Netflix and make some money off of it versus risking not making anything at all. So yeah, that is a good financial move. But yeah, f- fourth movie is finished filming before the trailer for its prequel, or I guess its predecessor, I should say, uh, also is released. Why is Cloverfield so weird? I'm going to give, I'm going to save my thoughts on maybe that reasoning for the very end of this review, but I do have some reasons why I think that. Well, listeners, before we go any farther, we want to tell you we are about to spoil the Cloverfield Paradox. So if you have not seen the Cloverfield Paradox, then the only way to see it is on Netflix right now. You can go stream it from your televisions. It's really not that long of a movie. So go ahead and hit pause, go watch the movie, and then come back, and we will have fun talking about all the details of it. You've been warned. We're about to spoil it. In the year 2028, the Earth has a massive energy crisis, which is threatening to plunge the world into war. Hamilton, played by Gugu, must go up to the space station Cloverfield with a crew of the top scientists from every major country to enact the Shepard Particle Accelerator. This technology will provide infinite energy forever, therefore solving the world's problems. Upon many failures, the crew tries one more time and is supposedly flung across the galaxy. In reality, they're on the other side of the sun, but in an alternate dimension. Bizarre things occur, including finding a new crew member and the death of many others. Once the crew figures out how to return home, they are thwarted by the new member Jensen. Hamilton stops Jensen by shooting her out into space. The only two left are Hamilton and Schmidt, who return back to their Earth to find the Cloverfield monster taller than the clouds, 
as credits roll. I think it's obvious at this point that this is riding off of the heels of Alien. It's homaging Alien. It's using different elements that Alien also used. I feel that that if it is, if it wasn't obvious already of them just being in the space station, I think it should be said now. Uh, this is taking quite a bit from Alien. Oh, absolutely. And I would even say probably Prometheus and even Alien Covenant because Prometheus did extremely well. And this, yeah, this is not very original, yeah. I would yeah. say. Especially that ending blowing Jensen out, off the, out into space. Very clearly yeah. Alien-esque. Uh, there are small elements here and there. Uh, the whole crew dynamic is they're trying to write off of Alien. There's a lot of alienisms in this movie. Well, something else. Uh, it's very popular in science fiction movies now to have your eyes messed up and creepy things coming out of your eyes or swirling yes. in your eyes. We saw this in Prometheus. We see this happen with Volkov. I'm like, that is so obvious. Of course it's going to start with his eye. That That's very cliche now, it seems like. But... To begin this movie, it is extremely exposition heavy. Oh, yeah. We have repeated exposition where we hear it on the radio, and then Michael and Hamilton talk about it again, and she's like, so what you're saying is you want me to go up and do this and this so I can save the world in the energy crisis. And yeah, Not just that, exposition. but they're also being incredibly vague. So it's kind of like they're tricking the audience like, oh, what are they going to do? But we already know that she's going to be up in the space station anyways. And then, yeah, like you said, they just restate everything the radio just told us, like no more than probably 30 seconds ago. And they're sitting in line to get gas. Right. Yeah. Repeated exposition for really no reason at all that I can think of. So on my first viewing of all three of these movies, I thought they all took place at the same mm -hmm. time. Clearly, I wasn't paying attention to the details. I just assumed, okay, they all take place at the same time. Well, we talked about why the sequel does not take place during the second one. You can go listen to that there. And then this. Uh, okay, so here's where I thought. In the second one, you, you hear about a blackout on the southern seaboard. Right. So that's what I thought this was. I'm like, oh, this is taking place during the second one, except it's where the blackout is. And there's different things going on. And, okay, you know how in the first movie, at the very end, you see something fall from into the yes. water? Okay, so I thought in the end of this movie, when they're falling, I'm like, oh, it's all connected. This is what falls into there. And I'm like, I don't know why the monster's so big or clearly I wasn't thinking mm -hmm. at all because clearly none of those events occur at the same time or places at all. Technology is different. Events are different. And this movie does answer why there are alien invasions taking place in three different decades, actually. Albeit right. an interesting explanation. Um... So we're led to believe in 2028, yes, okay, the Earth has an energy crisis. That I can get behind. That makes sense to me. Um, but we are also led to believe that there is this particle accelerator that's been made. And it's supposed to create essentially infinite energy that we can just use. And they put it out into space so that way it doesn't do anything. 
Uh, and we have this entire montage sequence of them trying to get it to work and it isn't working and years go by and it's nothing's work. Still nothing's working. Uh, alternate dimensions though. What? <laughs> uh, okay. Where did, how did I just, I want to track logically as to how we went from energy crisis to alternate dimensions. And it just feels to me like we're just making stuff up as we go along. And then this is just an excuse to, so we can have more movies that don't really, that don't actually connect to each other, but all kind of do because aliens. Yeah. The explanation I think is incredibly sloppy and it's just so easy, but yet it's very not confirmed. I know that that was really poor English. But what I'm trying to say is they don't definitely state it outright, and you're still left with a lot of questions. I remember the day after the movie released, there was lots of reviews, and then right after that, there was a lot of videos explaining how all three movies connect. And basically, they say they connect because this particle accelerator caused a rift in the space-time continuum and opened up... As Mark Stambler's character says, uh, monsters, demons, beasts from the sea. And I said, well, how's that for exposition? <laughs> how's that for foreshadowing? Right. Uh, okay, here's my question. So what? I mean, I think that's just my biggest problem with this movie in general, is there's just a lot of things that happen, and there's not much of a reason given to him and we'll get to those events in a sec but hmm. dimensions though a riff in the space-time continuum versus a movie about aliens this just feels weird like cloverfield is meant to be weird and i understand that but it doesn't feel like cloverfield to me this just feels like oh uh oh no how do we do this and they just kind of make something up whether or not it actually makes sense so I know you had an issue with the end of the right. second movie. I'm assuming you're having big issues. That's what it sounds like with the third movie, like just the entirety of it. Uh, yes, very much so. And when I talk you now in the last review, I said that really my really the only issue that I had that was really movie breaking almost was that ending. And I, I did not like the ending that we both we had opposite views on it and I remember stating that if it wasn't for this ending, I would I would have loved everything about it. But I feel like this ending kind of just goes against whatever else the movie had set up. Anyways, my talked to my roommate after I had finished the movie and I kind of discovered something that this ending feels like a lot of what the end. No, oh, sorry, this movie feels like they took the ending from Ten Cloverfield Lane and just made it into a movie. And but worse because it makes no sense at all. And then we have such lazy script writing to force things that happen and we'll get to details in a minute but this random things happen for seemingly no reason but just because it's cool and it just it feels so it doesn't connect that's my biggest thing it doesn't connect not only with the universe itself but it doesn't connect introspectively it doesn't connect as a movie just like in general because random things happen for reasons well, I think my biggest issue is this MacGuffin particle accelerator that I understand this movie is science fiction, and in some ways we have to suspend reality, 
but I can't suspend reality to the point of it being a fantasy because clearly they are grounding this movie in reality with, oh, we have the energy crisis and we have war breaking out and we have all these different scientific techniques as the top minds, yet somehow they have figured out this supposed magic machine which it takes, which they can't even get working until they come up with this really stupid explanation of, oh, we just need to like vent the carbon yeah, exhaust or whatever. Condensation, and it's just work actually, that has been causing all their issues. Wouldn't you believe it? Yeah. And it just frustrates me because I'm like, are these scientists the smartest in the world or are they stupid? Because every time there's a problem, it could be easily solved. And they're like, oh my gosh, all we needed to do was flip what? it on or something like that. Anyways. I had this big issue with Elysium where there was just too many things where it was all magic, yes. basically. People could be magically healed. There's going to be this utopia world. None of it was explained. It was just thrown out there. And I'm like, okay, you can't ground a movie in reality and then introduce fantasy and magical elements all of a sudden. And I feel like this is what this movie is doing. I don't understand what this i don't it's impossible for this particle accelerator to generate infinite energy that the entire world could use this is some of this utopian stuff that resolves all conflicts in the world essentially right. and it doesn't work it, it's right. frustrating honestly. i think see that i do agree with you for the most part but i think the thing that really doesn't make any sense to me is the fact that they don't spend any time to try and explain the particle accelerator um, nope. because they just expect the audience to just believe that they have this magical device that can solve all energy crises. I can understand why they would bring in that idea. And I think that that is a pretty relevant idea, a uh, pretty relevant theme, because yes, we are kind of having an issue with energy anyways, right now. So I can understand why they bring in this theme. But my problem is, like you said, they don't ever try, they don't ever take the time to explain it. Now, there is a movie out there called Primer, which is a very hard sci-fi, and it grounds its own reality, and of course, it's not real time travel, but it makes it, the way that they explain things makes it feel like it's like it's almost possible, and the fact, the, the level of detail that they go to to explain the ins and outs of that movie is incredible. Now, this movie is the complete opposite, because they, like I said, don't take any time to explain anything about this particle accelerator which makes my suspension of disbelief i cannot believe this because they do not take any time to try and help me believe that this would exist like you said in elysium yes actually funny i actually had a, a point in my notes where i referenced elysium with the uh, self-healing machines or whatever that we have we find oh yeah which never come up again yeah, by the way those, yeah. but regardless um Yes, they both have pretty similar issues where they ground themselves in this reality, but don't ever take the time to try and explain it in detail to make it a re to make it not just a fantasy, but something that maybe could possibly happen. And they don't try that at all here, and it it really brings the movie down. And I honestly think that's one of the problem with a lot of modern sci-fi is they introduce these fantastical ideas and try and pass them off as plausibilities but without giving the audience anything to go off of which just throws us into confusion and oh, disbelief. Absolutely. I feel I do feel like this is a little similar with Christopher Nolan's movie Interstellar where they have to save the world, they got to get off the planet and Michael Caine's character is constantly trying to solve the gravity equation 
but I don't know what the gravity equation mm-hmm. is, and I don't know how it works, and neither does he, because, spoiler alert, Michael Caine never solves right. it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it just, do you get what I'm oh, saying? Yeah, absolutely. Elysium did it. There's these magical MacGuffins. Ooh, the gravity equation. That's what we got to go after. Ooh, the, the Shepard particle accelerator. Sounds cool, but I, I don't even... The, the if the writer doesn't get it, then how is the audience supposed to? Exactly. Get it? Never once do they ever try and explain this is what a particle accelerator is, because it just sounds like a fancy name, just because. <laughs> but okay, going back to what you just said, um, this is where my biggest issues come in, or the events of this movie, because to me it feels like just random things happen because the writers think, oh, this would be a cool idea. The biggest thing for me is when the guy, I don't even remember his name. I really could care less. But he is essentially, from what I understand, is putting the panel back onto the wall where they found whatever, uh, Jensen. They found Jensen, and I think he's putting the panel back onto that section of the wall, and his arm just gets sucked into the wall. Why this has happened, it never answers except the fact that, oh, it's parallel dimensions. And then his, and then, okay, he loses his arm and then finds his arm again later on, but it's not his arm from that dimension, but from another dimension. And it gives them the clue to cut open whatever his name is, uh, uh, and to find all the worms, but that goes nowhere because movie except parallel dimensions. This is what I'm talking about when I say that this movie makes no sense and it's very hard to follow because they don't even try to help the audience understand how we got from A to B. Instead, it just goes, this would be a cool idea, and then just runs with it, even if it's totally stupid, because the guy getting his arm stuck in the wall, whose idea was that in the first place? And... I, it, it just feels like we're just making things up because that would be a cool idea to throw in this movie, even if it's not. Yeah, so I put in my notes, random things happen on the ship for basically no reason. Oh, yeah. So basically literally what you just said. And I said, everything is so thrown together in this movie. Nothing makes sense. It really doesn't right. make sense because Volkov, the Russian who I don't think he has a very good Russian accent anyway. No, he doesn't. Nobody has a good accent in this movie. <laughs> so he apparently becomes possessed because he starts talking to himself like, yes, yes, I'll do it. And he's possessed and he is told to make a gun. How do, uh, how do they have the option to do that is my question. But whatever, we have to have conflict somehow, I suppose. The worms are in his mm-hmm. body, and the other magical MacGuffin that the the big cube, big polygon oh, octagon yeah, the gyro, shape, as they call it, that's in his stomach yep. as well. Um, this movie seemed a little bit like Final Destination to me, mm, because that's a good point. Actually, <laughs> there was lots of deaths mm. in this movie. Clearly, lots of kills, and they really like to highlight those kills in this movie where one character is picked off one after the other, you know they're going to somehow get magically locked in the room and something bad is going to happen. One is going to freeze to death, one's going to be shot out of space, one's going to be ripped apart, one's going to gyrate and shake or get taken over. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. I don't... The lady is in the wall and she's magically healed. (sighs) 
Ah, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So there, there's a ton of issues with yeah. all of this. It's basically Final Destination. They should have called it the Cloverfield Destination. Yeah, they really should have because you make a really good point. <laughs> this is basically Alien plus Final Destination, but slap a Cloverfield title on that and we're good. Yeah, pretty much. And the the exposition is ridiculous oh, yeah. because the worst part is the Mark Stambler section. Which uh, some people believe this Mark Stambler guy on the TV oh. is uh, Howard's Howard from the second movie. Many people believe that is his brother because I believe they share the same last name. So there's no confirmation of that, but clearly they have the same type of theories right. from what we learned of Howard and in this. Yeah, movie. and the other thing, well, the other thing we should note is the lady he's talking to on the TV. That is the same lady who runs to the bunker when mm. um, what's her name is trying to yeah. escape, and she's all messed up and she's banging her head. Okay, against yeah. The so wall. the neighbor, yes, okay, the neighbor. That's actually the same actress. I don't know why, but anyways, the Mark Stambler sequence is ridiculous because he's like monsters, demons, beasts will be ripped open from this paradox, and they use the word paradox in this movie so much. Like when Michael says it later on. In the bunker, he's like, it's a paradox. I'm like, I'm thinking of uh, The Princess yeah. Bride, Aniga Montoya, where he's like, that word you're saying, I don't think it means what you think exactly. it means. Exactly. <laughs> what paradox are we talking about? That's what, okay, well, I, I think know. that's one of the more confusing elements is that they talk about this paradox and this paradox, you know, all this kind of stuff with this particle accelerator. What paradox? That's what I want to know is some somewhere somebody thought that this was okay and that's what bothers me the most is that we just say things and then don't do them or we say them so often that they lose their meaning like this guy on the tv somehow they get live tv up in space but i, I guess i can suspend that because they're in uh there it's 2028 but why is he listening to this now and why is it in this movie? It doesn't make any... There's really no reason I, for it to be here. I mean, let's be honest. Well, it's pretty much all for the audience. And probably JJ threw it in because he's like, we need to connect this stuff. And... Uh, okay. I'm trying to think when I should bring this up or not. But did I mention how Mike, Mark Stambler says this will rip open the past, the future, and other dimensions? Yeah. Okay, clearly this is why... Aliens come to Earth in 2008, 2016, and 2028 is because, uh, okay, and this opens up another issue. So it's not worked every single time, but this time they do it, now it magically doesn't work, but it throws them into another dimension. Why now and not the other times? And why will it repeat and work the second time? My, I'm surprised that they think that doing this again is going to bring bring them back to earth but right. yes why does it work the second time i guess be i don't know because i don't know now you bring it up because i was thinking the condensation but that doesn't happen until later in the movie when they do it the second time right. so they got lucky i guess it doesn't make yeah any it sense. doesn't make any sense it's really it's only just because script the script says so and there really, it just, it, there is no reason for it to happen in, at all. And let's be honest here. Okay. I want to say two, three things. Okay. 
the opening credit scene is clearly riffing off the second movie, except it's not as yep. effective. I do enjoy this credit sequence, this montage sequence. Uh, I think the music is well utilized here, and it does kind of get me interested how nothing's working, what's going on. So I'm, I'm kind of yeah. intrigued. Uh, it's weird because the credit sequence and title sequence are really disassociated. We don't get the title until 11 minutes into yeah. the movie. Yeah. Yeah, okay. (laughs) But right before that, I got to say, I did really enjoy the shot of Hamilton laying against the window with a video of her kids playing and kind of the ship revolving around and then it pulls out. I was like, oh, okay. So from from the beginning, I am intrigued. But yeah, after that, everything falls to Mm -hmm. pot. And I got to say, Michael is my favorite character in this movie, but he is completely pointless. All of these scenes on Earth are pointless. Right. Uh, Why? Right. You bring up an issue that I think kind of carries on throughout this entire movie. The scenes on Earth, every single one of them are pointless. We, the, the opening scene of this movie is one of the worst elements of this movie because it just repeats everything to us that we'll learn later on. And that completely removes any kind of sense of discovery because... Okay, the opening of this movie, we get the we get Michael and Ava talking, and he he's trying to convince her to go up into space, and she doesn't want to because there's an energy energy crisis. Well, she goes up anyways, and then we find out later that she's a family uh, a, a housewife, and she's had a family at one point, and her husband's at home. And why do we need this opening scene? There really is no reason to have it because it for the most part, just repeats everything that we'll learn later. And this is, okay, this scene when she is sitting at, sitting in her, like, dorm room, essentially, is, I think, the scene where the movie probably should have began. Oh, yeah. I, I can definitely see that. I yeah. agree. And I, no, okay. okay. I will say that the opening montage sequence, I wasn't too big of a fan of it. Once again, they cut, they could have cut it out and they explained what happened that we've been here for so long and we've tried this so many times and it doesn't work. And I think that would have been that would have that would have sufficed. Uh, yeah, Michael, I find his I find his accent to be not that great at all. I just I wish he had a a bigger role because he the only thing that he really does is pick up some random little girl and. Well, at least we're led to believe that he gets her back to her parents. That's that's it. Other than that, it only serves to show what all is happening on Earth, but nothing much is happening anyways. So what is the point? Right. I The reason I liked Michael was because he seemed like a great husband. He was a leader. He was a level-headed guy. He was very understanding. He goes out of his way to do the right thing. He's the only character that could I could see a lot of virtuous uh, nobilities that I could latch onto. Whereas I don't care for anybody on the ship. I think David Oyelowo's character is a leader. I think all the other characters are fairly stupid. I don't even really care for our main character Hamilton. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know why I should care for her. Honestly, I think her plot is a little similar to. Her backstory, I should say, is a little similar to Manchester by the Sea. I'm not going to give anything away for that movie, but Manchester by the Sea is super powerful and emotional. This was still sad, but I was like, well, okay, what? 
<laughs> just because they're trying to figure out a way to create conflict, even though this still wouldn't work for her to go to the alternate dimension Earth because her person is already there. It's a different family. But back to Michael, his scenes are basically pointless. They don't serve any purpose in this movie. They, This movie is just trying to meet a satisfactory runtime. Right. I feel. And the only thing that was going to pay off, which didn't, which I th- was frustrating, honestly, when he goes to that bunker, I was like, oh my gosh, are they in Howard's bunker from Tin Cloverfield Lane? That would have been an awesome twist. Nope, just a random person <laughs> right? that we don't see, and it's utterly right. pointless. So, Well, I think that gets into a very, very big problem with this movie. The Cloverfield Paradox is completely devoid of any emotion because there are things that happen in this movie and you do not get any real performance from anybody. It feels like, okay, the only scene where I feel like there may have been some some kind of substance was the scene between um, Jensen and Ava when she... Jensen and Ava, and then there's one other when she talks to the captain... uh, Jen, when the scene when she's talking to Jensen is essentially she's finding out that her family is still alive in this dimension. And then later on, she finds out or later on, she approaches the captain or the commander and says, I want to go home. And this, I think, is one of the more interesting parts of the movie because it brings up a very interesting issue, which is she could live with her family again and and stuff like that. Now, obviously, the commander says that's kind of dumb because you're still in this dimension, too. Uh, so there are going to be two of you. That's an interesting point. And I think that that should have been the hook of this movie is that Ava wants to just go home and see her family again after they traveled across the dimensions and are now in a completely different one. Movie doesn't even try and go there. But it, it, other than that, there is no emotion in here. Every single one of these characters is so flat and their acting is not only hammy, but it's so unbelievable that I begin to just not care what happens because so what? So who is your least favorite character? Oh, what is his name? The guy who loses his arm. Me too. I put that in my notes. I'm like, Chris O'Dowd, that's his real life yeah. name. Uh, he is not funny in this movie. Tr- his comedic timing is ridiculous. Bless his heart. He tries so hard. <laughs> It doesn't work at all, yeah. though, because in, like, super serious scenes, he'll say things, and, uh, yeah, I could not stand him. I was so glad when he left yes. the movie. I, I couldn't Like, stand when he character. finds out the worms, are, the worms are gone, he goes, oh, wait, the worms. Uh, the worms are gone. <laughs> it's just, yeah. all, almost all of his lines, especially in the second half, they just become laughably bad because they're so stupid. Uh, that scene, and then oh, yeah. later on, his he says, "Yeah, my arm helped us find the earth." Yeah, I. It, it was yeah. to the point of frustrating, yeah. but but that also okay. This also brings up another interesting problem, like really big problem with this movie, and that's that the Cloverfield paradox calls itself out on its own stupidity more than one time, and just thinks that it's okay to leave it alone and not touch it. Whose idea was that? Why would you do that? Do what? I'm confused. Okay. So, at one point in the movie, the Jensen says to Ava not to trust Schmidt, right? 
And so the commander goes and looks up in the logs what exactly happened. Come to find out, we find out. Well, we find out later that um, we find out later that they aren't from that dimension. They're from the other dimension. That we got those messages back and forth. And turns out, in that dimension, Schmidt was, I think, a spy. I think for Russia or Germany or something like that. Anyways, so Commander doesn't even think twice. Takes Schmidt, locks him in an airlock, and says, "Stay here." But even Schmidt is just like, "You're going to believe Jensen on this." And he goes, yeah, and just closes him in. So that's one moment. That one's not too big of a deal. But there's one later on with uh, whatever his name is, that the, the missing arm guy uh, that, that we just talked about. So it's the scene when Volkov, is, he dies, and they cut him open, and they find a gyro, right? And the line is, we're going to trust something that we found in some man's stomach. Good luck, everyone. The movie calls itself out on its own stupidity and once again also later on talks about how the arm found the earth or whatever. It calls itself out on its own stupidity and then doesn't even try to fix it. What script does this? Oh, I I agree. And one of the big stupidities that I was irritated with was when they believe that this thing somehow flung them across the galaxy. Like it has capable capabilities of light speed or opening up a wormhole or a black hole that would just suck them from like one place to the other i don't know that that doesn't make any sense but i'm, I'm extremely frustrated because these scientists are supposed to be the, the best scientists right. in the world they don't even know how to read a constellation like they can't even look at the stars and be like oh well this constellation is in this part of the hemisphere or whatever of our I don't know, because then all of a sudden they're like, wait a minute, we're on the other side of the sun. Oh my gosh. And then they just like tilt their like spaceship over a little bit. And they're like, oh my gosh, there's Earth right there. But here's the craziest part How, though, is that they tried what? scanning for radio signals and they couldn't find any. But once they found the Earth and they realized, oh wait, we're on the other side of the sun, magically they could find them. What? I, I know. I was like, "You're so you're telling me. You couldn't see the sun this whole time, nor could you use any... They're like, well, we don't have the technology. I'm like, so you can't just pull out a compass or something? I mean, this is old school mathematics with gauging the stars and where you're at. And they couldn't even figure out they're on the other side of the sun. And it's not like there's any other planets that might be on the other side. I don't know. I mean, it's rotation. It was just really stupid. Yeah. But, okay, I will say probably the most intriguing aspect of this movie, which I still think isn't played up to its full potential, is when Jensen appears in the wall, and then we see a picture of her with the crew, and this mysterious woman has come on board. I'm like, okay, that's fairly interesting. But ultimately, it, I don't know, it's not amazing. It's It doesn't really do much for the movie. But something I wanted to talk about is this, is there a possibility of a multiverse or an alternate dimension? This is something I did a little bit of research into. And uh, the other thing that I wanted to say is, before I get into that, is the movie is a little confusing about whether they are in an alternate dimension or whether there's two dimensions that were like spliced together. Yeah, they... Kind of mention both, but don't ever really give a clear uh, a clear answer. Right. 
So according to my research, uh, like a multiverse would be an entirely separate universe, just like ours, but we would have no access to it. And from what I understand in this, in one of many different universes, there would be like the exact same things going on, but with different cause and effects or different consequences. Right. And that's what this movie is portraying. Right. So in our universe, uh, Hamilton, her kids don't die, but the world is plunged into war and the Cloverfield spaceship crashes. So it seems like there is an opposite effect. So if, you know, uh, like, in the other world, kind of like in The Man in the High Castle, the Nazis won World right. War II. That's what this is proposing, basically. And I was introduced to this concept, I I believe, in my sixth grade class. I don't know why, but the science teacher, he was a cool guy. He was like, you know, there's possibility of another dimension where there would be the exact same me, but he would make the opposite choice, you know. And Stephen Hawking who just died recently, he said, yes, absolutely yes, this is what is going on. This is why our universe is so finely tuned is because there's so many different universes that one of them had to get it right. And there was also other universes that got it right as well, but, you know, different things are going on. Well, uh, Christian theologians such as Hank Hanegraaff would say, absolutely not. There's zero evidence like, there's no physical evidence of another universe. And even the agnostic theoretical physicist Roger Penrose says Hawking's theory is impotent, misconceived, and insufficiently rich. And I'm going to have to come down on that side as well. Because this is this introduces a, a lot of problems. Because that means that there would be multiple copies of everything, which is totally illogical. Or it means the creator of the universe made multiple people, and some some versions of ourselves would go to heaven, some to hell. Everything is left up to random chance, essentially, or just inverted realities. Plus, also, if you're a Christian, it completely brings up the uh, the question... So if in this world, Christ came and died and was resurrected, then in another world, he didn't choose to die. And then in another world, he didn't rise again, which totally just destroys all theology or all premises of a, a intelligent design or a natural creator. I feel if that makes any sense, it brings up a lot of issues. And I think it, it, Ultimately, it is ultimately impossible there would be anything like this in reality. Right. Yeah, this is something that we will n never know if it is a reality or not because uh, it's such a far-out idea that is completely impossible for us to prove or maybe even disprove that it, it honestly, it's it's a possibility. And for, um, for when I understand... Maybe the reason that your uh, sixth grade teacher was telling you about multiverses, uh, I, from my understanding that there is also a theory out there that exists where every decision that you make splits off and creates its own multiverse, where uh, you have 
two different universes that exist where one is where you made the decision and the other is where you didn't make that decision. Whatever decision you made is or reality is where you went to and, and stuff like that. So yes, there could be a, a universe where the only thing that's different is that you wore an orange shirt today or, or something like that. That's part of the multiverse theory. Then of course, we also have uh, the religion aspect of it where, okay, well, if Christianity is meant to be true or is meant to be believed that it is true, uh, this, if this is true, this multiverse theory, it becomes a reality. Uh, oops, we just almost essentially just ripped apart that, uh, that whole theology. It's hard to say, and it's an impossible, it's an impossible thing to prove because we can't just go to another universe um, especially now with the technology we have now. To be fair, this movie isn't exactly going down that route. It's more of just playing on this idea of, oh, what if it is possible? But you do bring, you do bring up a good point. Um, who knows if this is true? And even if it is, it's such a far-fetched idea. It's kind of one of those things where we believe that we're all in a simulation or that this entire life is a dream. There's really no way to prove or disprove it but it's a theory that exists because we're we're just humans who are curious and we really want to know answers to everything and we're we're just we thrive for discovery and knowledge but yeah it's this discussion of a multiverse i had to do a speech over this when i was in i think uh ooh, it was my sophomore year in high school so I, I remember i remember little bits but yeah this idea of a multiverse Hmm. It's it's hard to t it's hard to uh, discuss because yes, you're right. It, there could have been one where if this okay, so we're saying that this exists. There could be one where Jesus Christ did and did not die, and the one that we're living in right now is the one where he did. And what is going to happen if the one that he doesn't die? We don't know. It it kind of even goes to show that maybe the movie is trying to harken towards this, but I honestly, I highly doubt that the movie went this deep. But I think one of the things to kind of learn from the multiverse theory is that every decision that you make is going to have some kind of consequence, whether whether that be good or bad, it's going to have some kind of consequence and that you really should think about your actions before you do them. That kind of what it goes on here is that they decide that they want to find this renewable, infinite re energy resource uh, and then it accidentally flings them into a different dimension and then they have to find a way to get back but then accidentally most of the crew except for two of them die so it kind of goes to show that your decisions are going to have some kind of consequence really think through your decisions don't just go off of blind faith because we have this uh infinite energy resource the lives of the world now are in now are basically in the hands of whatever not only, not only whatever the scriptwriters can make up, but whatever aliens there are now, which what the movie's going for, I think. It's kind of funny that what was supposed to give the world everlasting energy unleashes monsters and it's going to like destroy right, the world or something. Right. It, see, this is kind of where this movie could have been very interesting. And it kind of goes, even ties in with Ava's character arc when she talks to the commander, which uh, about about how she wants to go home and see the, see her family again. And that's kind of par parts of this I feel like are quite interesting. But the movie, unfortunately, doesn't even dive anywhere near that kind of interesting dialogue or interesting themes. It just kind of takes it all surface level or not even that sometimes. It's mm, it's sad. This could have been quite the interesting movie, but it, did, it, it doesn't do it. I think a, probably a better movie to discuss this kind of stuff would be 2001 A Space Odyssey. Which you can go watch the explanation video on right. our YouTube page right now. 
That movie is super deep, unlike this movie. Well, okay, so we're basically nearing the end, and honestly, I feel like after a certain point, everything is just filler until we can get to the end. Uh, the only thing I really cared for here in the end was I thought the scene where Hamilton realizes her family is alive in this world, I felt that was nicely handled and with the music. And also, I did think it was kind of interesting how it's called shepherd for a reason. Like I can see the symbolism, like the shepherd takes care of the flock and leads the flock. Well, that's the whole point of the shepherd is it's supposed to be kind of watching over the world and taking care of the world. I felt like the symbolism was nicely handled and wasn't too overdone. The CGI is well done. And I did like the twist of the blonde knocking out Hamilton. And I felt like that kind of fight towards the end was pretty good, although I don't really understand why Hamilton knows it want to go back to Earth now. Yeah, um, this, for, okay, I, I feel a little bit on the opposite end. I feel like this, the last 30 minutes is kind of where the movie be, begins to be somewhat kind of maybe interesting for me, uh, partly because of uh, Ava's decision that she wants to go back home, uh, that I felt was interesting. Although Jensen's turn to be evil makes no sense to me, but whatever i guess i'll just take it and leave it um it's just you're right this is filler but at least for me it was a bit more interesting filler than what the rest of the movie was giving me that is not saying much this ending does not redeem the movie in the slightest uh this action scene with ava and jensen is whatever i mean she gets blown out into space just like an alien i mean we kind of see that comment it was pretty interesting visuals to uh that video of her family is playing. I don't know, I don't know how Ava got a hold of it, but video of her... Oh, no, I do remember how she gave it to her. Uh, anyways, video of her family is playing, and essentially it just goes to show symbol, uh, symbolically that she is not going to go back to Earth and think that she realizes that that decision that she could make is not one that would be for the best. It would make things worse. I think that's kind of where the movie's going for, why she decided not to go to Earth. But they get the particle accelerator to work after... Uh, whatever her name is who speaks only mandarin for whatever reason she dies because she drowns in an airlock uh okay I anyways you're right the ending kind of builds to something that once again so what you know it it's it's mm, eh, the whole movie is just eh I do think it has a good message about appreciating your loved ones and not taking them for granted. But honestly, at that point, I I had really checked out of the movie. I just wanted it to be over. Yeah. And I did kind of like the monster coming up through the clouds as they're falling to Earth. But I'm just... First of all, the monster is huge, which is crazy. Being taller than the clouds, that's unbelievably bigger than the Cloverfield monster right. in the first movie. And I don't like how this movie shied away so much from the Cloverfield monster. They did a good job of keeping it in the shadows in the first one. They kept us in suspense until the end, but I felt like we had sufficient alien action in that one. In this one, they kept it in the shadows on Earth, and then we just got it at the right. end. I mean, it kind of worked popping up there, but at the same time, it's just like, well, why? Yeah. Uh, this is the third installment. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. This this ending is... It... It, honestly, it's they could have 
kept it at just this because we do get to see kind of the monster when Michael's on Earth. We hear the roar and the thump and the thump of the monster doing things. So it's clear, oh, maybe not clear enough, but it's speculation up to that point that, oh, maybe the Cloverfield monster from the OG Cloverfield is here as well. Uh, we never get confirmation of that, but I feel like the movie could have just stopped it there and not have had this ending scene with the Cloverfield monster and it would have worked a little bit better. I don't really like this ending scene with the monster. It just feels like they tacked it on just as, just to confirm for a fact that this is a part of the Cloverfield universe, even though it's in the title. I don't know. It, it, it feels kind of like the ending to... Ted and Cloverfield Lane to me where it's just tacked on just because there, there isn't much I, else I could really say about this ending that I kind of have already said. So, Alan, what is your rating and recommendation for the Cloverfield Paradox? Okay. Well, I've said it a couple of times in this podcast. Uh, just going to reaffirm once again. This movie to me is so what? Like, there are so many things that happen in this movie, not only for no reason, but literally because the scriptwriters think that this would be a good idea, and they force the script around that idea to somehow maybe make it work, even if it doesn't make any sense. Uh, it's it's sad that this movie is so not good at all that it is attached to this universe. It makes sense to me now, looking at the, produ the pre-production, or I guess just the production in general, about everything it had to go through just to get released. But this also brings up an interesting question to me. What about the Cloverfield universe as a whole? And I'm going to come out and say it right now. There is nothing special about the Cloverfield universe. And I say this because in the last two movies, especially, neither script was made to be a Cloverfield movie. And J.J. Abrams came on and forced Cloverfield onto it. The second one works a bit more because at least we subtly lead into it and that had themes that were already kind of Cloverfield in the first place, uh, leading to an ending that I did not enjoy. But this second one just forces it. Everything about this is just not good. And I've everything else I've, I've kind of already said, but I'm just going to come out and say it. There's nothing special about Cloverfield. Literally, the reason Cloverfield universe exists, exists is because it gets not very well-known scripts into the limelight, which in some sense is a good idea. But... When you're sacrificing good ideas, like good scripts for adding on things like this, I don't know. So for me, this is a 3 out of 10. High not recommend. There's no reason to see it, to be honest. there's It tries to connect the two movies, but there, it ends up not being anything worth it. This movie is a mess. I am so glad I didn't pay money to see it in the theaters, so... Yeah, it made a lot of... I'm really glad Paramount ditched it to Netflix because I, I would have been really frustrated coming out of the theater wasting my money on that, though I do have Movie Pass now, so it doesn't technically right. matter. But at the same time, I don't want to have to take the time to get dressed and go to the theater and sit with everybody and just sit in that theater where I could... Ah. Anyways... After two viewings, I see this movie has serious issues with genre and creating a compelling story. This movie is boring. I don't care about any of these characters, and creating a utopian world without explanation is a page taken from the poorly done Elysium. After a perfect predecessor, I was excited about this movie, but severely disappointed. 
Overall, this movie is dismal and receives a 4 out of 10 with a solid not recommend. Yeah. After seeing it, because we both watched it before we watched it for this viewing, but um, at this point, after discussing it, this script is unfixable. (laughs) There are so many things that just happen for no reason, and to get from point A to point B requires those. This would need some serious rewrites if they wanted to make it competent. Yeah, I will never watch this movie again. I think it looks nice, but the story is just terrible and the characters are yeah. terrible like I just said. This honestly, you know, we thought I thought Cloverfield was good. I thought Tim Cloverfield Lane was perfect and this movie I think is a dismal heap of garbage. It is a weird roller coaster yeah. uh we're on with Cloverfield right now and we're about to go even weirder because the rap reports that this was just a one-off to Netflix. So listeners, this October, supposedly October 26th, when we are getting Cloverfield Overlord is what it's being called, you can't watch it from the comfort of your home. You will have to make the trek to theater and shell out some cash unless you have movie pass. <sighs> But it being theatrically released gives me more confidence the movie will be better. Otherwise, because clearly they had no confidence in this movie, that's why it came to Netflix. Unless it does give me some hope. Unless this suffers from the same fate as this movie does, where it either gets delayed or gets just pushed straight to Netflix. We'll see. It is is unconfirmed what's going to happen just yet. We still have a few months before we get there anyways. Yeah, I don't expect us to see anything... uh, uh, maybe August. Yeah. I would assume late August is at the most when we would be seeing anything. If we don't see anything by August, the late August, I, I would say. And if we don't see anything by early September, then it's most likely not going to come out in October. But honestly, I have a very strong feeling it will because we know the plot of this movie. And it's been talked about frequently. Like I said, I could be wrong, yeah. but uh, this new movie, we're going back to World War II. Oh, yeah, I remember this plot. It's crazy because this movie is progressively leaping into the future, taking place over three different decades. I just can't even understand how this is going to tie in. It's basically about U.S. paratroopers finding Nazis using supernatural magic on D-Day. Oh, What? Yeah, this is what Cloverfield Overlord is going to be about. I hear there's going to be Nazi zombies, hopefully. I think that's what the Call of Duty crowd's hoping for. Oh, I really hope this is a lie. (laughs) Honestly, maybe this is just up there just so we can take the bait and then they do a bait and switch on us later. And that's not the plot at all. Honestly, uh, that's silly. That's really silly. There's no way I can get behind that. I really hope this is a joke. Yeah, I know Hybrid Network has been talking about Cloverfield Overlord. They've got a video about it. They've been reporting this Nazi stuff for a long time now. So that makes me think I'm pretty sure this is what we're going to be seeing in theaters. I, I just can't even understand. Honestly, all I can picture and visualize right now is the very beginning of Hellboy, where they find the Nazis engaged in the occult and using opening a portal to unleash a monster. 
that's basically what I'm thinking of. I'm also thinking of uh, that uh, really B-movie, Netflix, S. Frankenstein movie. Oh, yeah. I can't remember what it's called right now, but you see the Nazi Frankenstein monsters like on stilts and other creature things. I, I never yeah. saw it, but that's what I'm visualizing right now. And I guess maybe some Call of Duty Nazi zombies. A little bit late, about 10 years too late on that. Yeah, it just got revived, I guess, technically with this new well, game. Well, it's been on every game uh, that's not in the Modern Warfare franchise since World at War, which is in 2008. Uh, right. So I think it's in every single Treyarch game, if I'm not mistaken. So, listeners, it's I'm planning on coming back to talk with you guys about Cloverfield Overlord this October. Uh, we will see. I'm really hoping after this movie it will be good. Because, honestly, from the ratings we gave it, you could really only go up from there. I mean, if it would be hard to go down and shocking if they went down from here. I mean, I just can't imagine JJ putting out just the horrible. Just I, I can't even imagine. Yeah, I I'm really I just that. hope that they make Cloverfield relevant. That's all I'm hoping for. I'm I'm excited to see what they do, but I really hope they stay true to what made Cloverfield the first one so successful and the second one almost as successful we'll see I mean we have still a couple months before we get there of course well listeners thank you so much for joining us for the third installment in the Cloverfield retrospective series we thought we were leading up to the release of the third. Well, we kind of were in a way, but surprise, I guess in a way, we're leading up to the release of the fourth. So for now, the retrospective will be on hiatus until we come back for the fourth one, and we will make sure to keep you updated if we do, or if the schedule changes and we decide to come up with something different instead make sure to go head over to our youtube channel and click subscribe and share with your friends because we are doing a ton of brand new weekend of releases that come out the day the movie comes out or the day or two after it'll be out that weekend we're doing that for a lot of movies we've got a lot of other plans for youtube videos also for more written reviews and other guides go ahead and head over to our website silverscreenguide.wordpress.com Make sure to uh, send this podcast to your friends. Uh, we love talking about movies, and we love engaging with you all as well. We will be coming back next week for the muchly, muchly. <laughs> <laughs> we will be coming back next week for the much-anticipated Avengers: Infinity War, which is being touted as possibly the highest opening weekend of all time and maybe even the highest grossing movie of all time honestly i wouldn't be surprised i'm looking forward to it i know alan you are not the biggest marvel fan yeah. but i think we might have some fun with yeah Infinity i'm curious War. to see what they do and how they handle it uh i can't uh, excited um, a little bit more or less just curious to see what they're gonna do like i said uh We'll, I'll just wait till we get there, and I'll, we'll explain, we'll talk about it. But that is next week, so uh, eh, that's close. I am caught up with all the Marvel movies, so I I didn't get the opportunity to go back and rewatch the older stuff because there's like twenty there's of them, lot. and 
that's a lot, and especially it's a lot to do your senior year, your, your actually your final semester of college. So I do plan on going back and ranking all of them probably before the second Avengers movie. So I'm gonna do a lot of I'm gonna do a lot more with the Avengers that way. So anyway, listeners, thank you so much again for joining us. Make sure to share and subscribe. You're 21st Century Kids. You know what to do. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much, and we'll catch you next time.